Hallelujah. Come on. How are you doing? Are we all enjoying the presence of God this morning? It's great to sing songs about Jesus, to magnify Jesus, to read scriptures about Jesus, to glorify Jesus. It's all about church, Jesus. Amen? Say that with me. It's all about Jesus. He is the first. We read the scripture. He's the first and the last. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. It's all about him, the unchanging one. He is absolutely wonderful. And it is really exciting to be with you again, speaking, sharing the word with you in these days, because I believe these are exciting days. I really do. I've really been enjoying the word that's been coming recently. A few weeks ago, we shared, Tim shared excellently, just upon the yeast that works its way through the dough, the life of Christ working its way to every area of your life. Do you remember that? Last week, Jez spoke really passionately about following Jesus with passion and purpose. And he gave us three things to go away. Boldness, faithfulness, obedience. I want you to know these aren't isolated words. It's not, right, I ticked my January quota of sermons, made my notes, put it away now. No, it's good to be talking about what God is saying to us because God is speaking to us as a people. And each week is simply going to build and build and build as God is revealing his heart to us. We must be fresh in our minds each week. And last week as well, and this has been on my mind all week. We had a great time last week, really enjoyed the, the presence of God and some wonderful prophetic word that came from the throne of God through his servants here that he reigns over for your finances. He reigns over your health. He reigns over your job. He reigns, he reigns, he reigns. But right at the end, James Aubrey brought a prophetic word. He said this, I'm teaching you, my children, not to live from circumstance to circumstance, but to live in the quality of the victory that I've already purchased for you at the cross. Now that word came right at the end, and if we're not careful, those words can get just tucked away. But that really is what I believe is the heart of God for this time. He's teaching us to live in a greater reality. He's teaching us in these days and in this season and for the rest of our lives that it really is true what he said. He's not teaching us just to live from day to day to day, week to week, month to month, crisis to crisis, good time to good time. What he wants us to know is this, there is a total victory and a full assurance that he is our everything, he is our all in all. It was purchased long ago and there is nothing else you have to do but receive him into his heart to live in the good of that. That's what he wants, a victorious people who live in the victory that he's already won. He is the Prince of Peace, isn't he? That's one of his titles, one of his prophetic titles. He wants you to know that you can have perfect peace in him. I was reminded of a story this morning, I'd like to tell you it just briefly, of a story I was told recently from a friend, really struck an accord with me, particularly in light of the word that God was already putting on my heart. It's the story of a young boy, uh, lives on a farm with his father uh, and mother, a wealthy family, not that you would know it, not lavish in their expenditure, no no flash cars, just a, a very humble man, but a very wealthy man. And the boy grows up, he's an only child, and he does very well at school, he does very well at high school, he goes on to university, and at university he makes a friend. At university he makes a, a really good friend, Uh, A boy, his family from the city, very different really, and they are wealthy as well, and you would know it. They wore the best clothes, they drove the best cars, but for whatever reason, these guys just hit it off. 
And as they went through university, coming to the end of their third year, they began to dream about what they might do together with their friendship and go into business to one another. And as these conversations go on, they begin to think about how wonderful it is that they're going to graduate on the same day. And how wonderful it will be that both sets of parents will be there. And so they begin to think about, well, I wonder if our dads will buy us a graduation present. And they get talking and they excite one another because they know that the money is there. So they can maybe ask for some big things. The boy from the city said, I'm going to ask my dad for a car. I've always wanted a Mercedes. Just a really top-of-the-range Mercedes. That's what I'm going to ask my dad for. And the boy who grew up in the farm who's becoming into a young man says, I'm going to ask my dad for a Bentley. I've always thought they were lovely. That would really set us up. You and your Mercedes, me and the Bentley, we'd just look the part. We'd look really good. And so they make their requests known to their fathers, and the graduation day arrives. It's a great time of celebration. And at the end, they come out of the graduation hall, and they come down to the steps. And the boy, the father of the city boy, comes up to him and says, Son, I'm really proud of you. Jingle, jangle, jingle, jangle. And he hands him the keys. He says, Turn around. And the boy turns around, and there is this beautiful Mercedes, glistening, just delivered there and then. said, There you are, son. Well done. Take it. It's yours. So the city boy, full of excitement, snatches the keys and goes and gets into his car. The farm boy is so excited. He turns and he sees his father. He sees all his family. His dad comes up to him and he puts his hands on his shoulder and says, Son, I'm so proud of you. You make me so proud. And he begins to talk. And as he does so, he pulls an envelope from his pocket and goes to give it to him. And the envelope's not sealed. He can see the the well-done card on the inside. And the son looks at it. He turns around and sees his friend getting into his Mercedes and looks back at the card. Looks at his dad. He's not even listening to what his dad is saying. He snatches the card from his hand, shoves it in his suit pocket, and he runs home. When he gets home, he rips off his graduation gown. He takes off his suit, puts on his old jeans and t-shirt. He goes and packs a bag, gets into the car that took him around college, this beat-up thing, and he drives off, and that's the last they see of him for 20 years. Bitterness in his heart. Anger in his heart. His friend got what he wanted. Why didn't I get what I needed? Some 20 years later, he's contacted by some relatives of his family that he's not heard from for a long, long time to let him know that his mother had passed away some 16 years ago. And just recently, his father too had passed away. He was the sole heir and he would have to come back to go through the will and to sort out the estate. Reluctantly, he does. He goes back. Hasn't been there in 20 years. And he gets back to the farm and he sees it. Nothing has changed. It's exactly the same. Still, for all the wealth, for all the money, it's exactly the same. The decor's the same. The wallpaper's the same. The curtain's the same. The furniture's the same. And he walks around the house and he's just bitter in his heart. He goes up to his old room. He wonders what it looks like. What did they do with the old place? He opens the door. Nothing has changed. The same curtains, the same posters, the same furniture. It's all there. It's as if he had never left. And he begins to go through his things. Childhood memories stirred once again. And he goes to his wardrobe and he sees hanging up his graduation gown. And bitterness rises in his heart. Next to his graduation gown on on a hanger is the suit he wore. And he looks at it and he just sees at the corner of his eye a piece of paper just sticking out of the pocket. It doesn't ring any bells, so he takes the paper out and he realizes this was the envelope. This was what his father had given him on that horrible day when he was let down so badly. 
but still his father's dead now. So what's the harm in reading it? He takes the card out of the envelope and he begins to read. And it says this, my son, I'm so proud of you. I've watched over you from birth. In fact, your first breath took my breath away. Now I realize, my son, that my dreams are not your dreams. You're too big for this farm. It won't hold you. But I know you're destined for great things. You said you wanted a car. I could give you a car. But please find this check, which will buy you not just any car you want, but five cars of any you want. Not just a house, but a wonderful house. You see, son, I'm so proud of you. Therefore, I've made a way with this money that you can have whatever you want and achieve your every dream. And the son closes the card, looks at the check for a figure he doesn't even recognize. It's got so many zeros on it. And he sits down on his bed and he breaks down and cries. I've messed up. I've messed up. You see, here in this card, here in this check, was everything he had ever needed to fulfill every dream, to get him started, to have the total uh, provision he would need for every aspiration he held in his heart. And yet he had walked away, not understanding, with bitterness. He'd walked away, and for 20 years, he'd worked really hard. He'd grafted. He tried to make something of himself, but he found himself living from day to day, crisis to crisis, good time to good time, but never really free of the bitterness he held in his heart towards his father. And all along, it didn't have to be there. He'd left the envelope closed, unaware of the life that his father had purchased for him. That's the end of the story. It's not the happiest story I know. I'm looking at your faces now, wondering if I should have told you the one about the puppy. (laughs) My friends, you have to read the letter. Because God has provided for us everything we need. According to his wonderful what? Riches in glory. He loves us and he has provided everything for us. And people, let me tell you this. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will love this word. You will love it. You don't need to worry about, am I living in the Spirit? Just ask yourself a question. Am I reading the Bible? If you're not, then you're not. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit and living by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will draw you to this Word. He'll help you devour this world to just take it in, to find time and room in your daily life to get this into you. Church, if only we would come into a full understanding, not of what, just what we have, but what already has been done for us, of the total victory and provision that He has already provided for us that we can live in the good of even now. But too many Christians I know And for much of my Christian life, I live day to day to day, crisis to crisis, good time to good time, but everything was in the now. Everything was, it's an immediate need. Heavenly Father, I need this, I need this, I need this. And God has opened my eyes to the wonderful thing that He has done. He has provided everything I will ever need. And by faith, I claim it for myself. When I live in it, the good of today. If only we had opened the letter. If only we would open the Word. Church, shall we open the Word this morning? I'd like you to turn to two passages of Scripture, please. If you would turn the first to Ephesians chapter 2. Give you a few uh, moments to find Ephesians chapter 2. But also if you could put a finger in Colossians chapter 1. That's just a few books or letters to the right as you're turning through. 
If you're a visitor here today, you don't have a Bible with you, there'll be someone close by, I assure you, who is ready to share their Bible with you. Let's open the Word. Let's discover the riches contained. Amen? Amen. I'm going to read this morning from the New Living Translation. I've just been reading that this week. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, and I'm going to read through to verse 9 of chapter 3. It says this, Together we are His house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus Himself. We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. And through Him, you Gentiles are also being made a part of this dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming by the way that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending His grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God Himself revealed His mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by His Spirit, He has revealed it to His holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I, Paul, was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. If you flick over to Colossians chapter 1. Verse 25, we'll pick up, this is still Paul writing. God has given me, Paul, the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. This is the mystery. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. Until this moment, until Paul is composing these letters, until this moment, it has been locked away. This mystery of God, hidden. No ear had heard it. No mind had conceived it. Adam didn't know about it. Noah didn't know about it. Abraham didn't know about it. Elijah, Elisha, David, John the Baptist, his disciples. No one knew about this mystery until the moment where Paul comes along and God literally opens his eyes. He was blind and he can see again and God pours out this revelation. He gives him the key and says this, this is the secret, Paul. Jesus Christ lives in you. Prophets in the Old Testament had prophesied it, but they had done so without understanding. Isn't that amazing? Prophesying these wonderful things and not really comprehending the fullness of what they were saying. But God had a secret from the beginning, and it was this, Christ in you, the hope 
of glory. Christ in you, the anointing of God in you, the life of God in you. No longer external, but within. No longer just resting upon his people, on his servants for a time. No longer like the days of Gideon and Samson where the Spirit of the Lord would come upon them and they would do extraordinary things, but then the Spirit would leave. No longer that day. This is the day where Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, dwells within the heart of every believer. And he's not going anywhere. It's not a secret anymore. The heart of God has been made known to us. Hallelujah. Why? Why would he do this? We've talked about this before, but let me just remind you. So Jesus Christ, who walked on this earth in one place at any one time, could only be in one place at any one time, said to his disciples, disciples, my friends, my brothers, it's good for you that I go away. This is John chapter 16. It's good for you that I go away. Unless I go away, the Holy Spirit cannot come and be with you. And for whatever craziness the disciples thought Jesus must be uh, saying at the moment, Jesus, why would you go? We're having such a good time. This is so successful. Everybody wants to be near you. Jesus says, no, it's for your benefit that I'm not here anymore. Because I can only be here. But when I go back to the Father, He's going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to live in you and you and you and you. And you're going to be scattered and sent to every corner of the earth. And there I will be in my fullness and in every way. Jesus in Australia. Jesus in America. Jesus in Europe. Jesus in Africa. Jesus in Asia. I'll be everywhere. It begins to make sense when you look at it that way. Wow. No longer just contained to one place, to one geographical location. But the fullness of God, Jesus Christ, by His Holy Spirit, living in you. That makes Cardiff a dangerous place to live, don't you think? Don't you think? Wherever you go, Jesus is there. Why? How? He lives in you. God's secret is revealed. See, the life of Christ... When I read about it here, I'm learning this more and more. It's not just to admire. It's not just to have my breath taken away. It's not just to scratch my head and say, wow, that was amazing. It's to replicate. It's to live. It's to live out. Because he lives in me. When I look at the life of Christ, I I come to this conclusion. At any moment that I can delve into the life of Christ, open the Gospels and see his life, he was the most important person in that place at that moment. You look at the things he did. He does what his father tells him to do. He overcomes all temptation. He lives a a pure and sinless life. He has insight into the problems that he should never have known about. He turns impossible situations into exciting victories. He works miracle after sign after wonder. He heals, heals, and he heals the many. Even when there's lack of faith, he still heals. His life and his ministry, they bear fruit no matter what he does and where he goes. And everything Jesus did, church, I can do. And everything Jesus did, church, you can do. Why? Because he lives in you. The secret of God has been laid bare. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, now I'm the most important person wherever I am. When I take my son to school in the morning and I will set foot in that schoolyard, I am the most important person there. Why? Because Jesus Christ has just entered the building. 
when I go into the workplace, when I'm talking with my neighbors, when I go into universities and colleges, when I go into schools, wherever I am at any given time, I am the most important person there. Why? Because Christ is there. He's there in me. If I go to Tesco's and I'm talking to the checkout lady, the checkout man, I am the most important person in that building. That, coincidentally, is why there's always a car park space for me right by the door. It's true. Every time I go to the car park at Tesco's or Sainsbury's or Asda, I don't look for the periphery places. Jesus Christ has just entered in me. There's a space. I've never not found one. Try it. It's great. Leave your brolly at home. That's not really what I want you to take away from this morning. Dave said we could park closer at Tesco's. Everything about Jesus... His character, his abilities, his gifting, his power is now in you. His boldness, his fearlessness, his just ability to stand before man and say, I know what you think, but this is the truth. He just spoke. That ability is now in you, people of God. It's in you. And it was always God's plan to do this. I've been on a bit of a journey these last couple of weeks, uh, having a, a wonderful time I just recommend you just uh, chew this word up. It's wonderful. And go on a bit of a treasure hunt. What I do, I get an A4 pad and I get a Bible which has got some cross-references in. And I've been reading Colossians a lot recently. And I'll read a verse and it'll hit me and then I'll see a cross-reference. And suddenly, oh, I'm over here. Oh, I'm in Isaiah. How did I get to Isaiah? But I don't know. I'll just start reading. And my spirit's coming alive and I make my notes. And another cross-reference sends me, oh, my goodness me, I'm back in Genesis. This is amazing. And you suddenly realize between Genesis and Revelation, it really is his word. It really is his word. You see, back in Genesis chapter 1, and in the land of Eden, the garden of Eden, God places two trees where? Right in the center of the garden. Now, the center is always important. God always wants to get to the heart. It's always important that God is at the center. You go all the way through to Revelation, and you find that even the lamb, uh, Christ is the lamb, is in the center of the throne. He's always at the center. Everything revolves around Christ Jesus, even the throne in Revelation 7, back to the Garden of Eden. So here in the, back, in the Garden of Eden, right at the center, two trees. One is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just park that thought for now. The other tree, right at the center is this. This is the tree of life. Adam, you can eat from any tree, not this one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you mustn't eat from that. But any other tree, including this one, which I've named, including this one, which is right at the center, the tree of life, you can take of this. Why did God want Adam to take of that tree? Because the moment he did, he would have the life of God within him. It was always his intention. You go through a wonderful treasure hunt. You follow the threads. You'll end up in the last chapter. From the first until the last, what a good God he is. And find in Revelation 22 that the tree of life is established. That it's there. That its leaves are for the healing of the nations. That whoever would receive Christ would uh, receive of the tree of life. That's because, people of God, the tree of life in Genesis 1 is a picture. It's a type. It's a shadow. It's Jesus Christ. And all Adam had to do was reach out and take of that wonderful fruit and internalize the life of Christ and he would live forevermore. I'm not talking about eternal life, but about what happens after you die. Let me just say this very clear. If you think eternal life is about living forever, 
That's not what eternal life is about. Everyone will live forever. Your eternal destination is up to you. So eternal life has to be more than just living forever. It's about the very life of Jesus Christ, the eternal one, becoming internalized and resident within my heart now. The eternal life of God is to live now, church. The tree of life is Jesus Christ. It's there from the beginning, and we see it at the end. This has always been God's heart. How is that Jesus? The only one who can give you life is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life, and life in all its fullness, abundant life. It's Jesus Christ. It was always his plan. Now, we know the story doesn't play out like that. Adam and Eve, they made their choice. But God wasn't caught out by that. Because Jesus Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It was always God's plan that he would dwell on the inside. And you can go all the way through the Bible. You'll find more than a hundred references to God's wonderful plan. From the tree of life, you'll come to the prophets in Ezekiel who said, I'm going to put my spirit within you. To Jeremiah, I'm going to give you a new heart. And everything suddenly shifts from an external code to something wonderful and internal that God wants to do something on the inside. This has always been his heart. You follow that through all the way to Jesus when he's walking on the earth and he gathers his disciples around. He says, this is the time now. You can read about this in the Gospel of John 14, 15, 16. He begins to talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, in that day... I'm going to be in the Father. The Father's going to be in uh, in me. I'm going to be in you. You're going to be in me. We're going to be so mixed up. We're going to be so intertwined that nothing will be able to separate us. And the only way you'll be able to describe this is a wonderful union life with Jesus Christ. Nothing will separate you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We know that, Romans 8. Nothing on earth or under earth. We know that nothing can separate you from the love of God and nothing can take away Christ who is within you. He's alive in you and he's going nowhere. When you believed in Christ Jesus, when you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart, you were impregnated by the seed of God. The Bible says that this is an incorruptible seed. It will not falter. It will not fail. It will bear great fruit in you. It cannot be removed. Church, as we've already heard this morning, the days of striving and trying to prove yourself and trying to achieve something, those days are over. Those days are gone. Stop thinking like that anymore. I don't have to work for my faith anymore. I can't earn earn the affection of my king anymore. Why? Because he's already poured out his affection on us. He's lavished his love upon us so much so that he gives us the right to be called children of God. There is nothing you and I can do to earn any more from Christ our Savior and Christ our Lord. He's done it all. He's made a way. He's called time on striving. No more. Now, right now, many of you, by your amens and your facial expressions, I can tell there's a rise of faith within you, but you don't still quite understand. Let me tell you what was happening. God has taken us on a journey, and some on a journey always get there a little bit quicker. That's not a problem. The point is you get there. And this may be the second step on a journey of, wow, God, you're just opening my eyes to something. Christ in me, I don't get that. I don't understand that. But boy, do I want that. That's okay. Hebrews 11 tells us this. By faith, we understand. By faith, I've laid hold of it. 
And I'm beginning to walk it out and live it out step by step. And it's the most amazing journey. But the Word of God has come to you this morning to lift your head and say this. Stop trying to be a Christian. Stop trying to be a Christian. I hear this phrase sometimes. I wish I was a better Christian. Or I want to be a good Christian. Like you could be a bad Christian. Christian means little Christ, imitator of Christ. He lives in you. You can't be a bad Jesus in you. It's impossible. You know, stop thinking like that. I know what you mean, but stop it. It's wrong. I, I, I used to walk like this, thinking I must do better, must do better, must do better. Did God suddenly become inferior in some way that he needs my help? Did God suddenly uh, blink and become, oh no, I'm not as awesome as I used to be. Where's Dave? <laughs> this didn't happen. He's okay. He's ruling and reigning. But you don't have to strive to, to please him, to do things for him. He simply says this, I live in you. The hope of glory resides within you. Get out of the way and let me live through you. You don't need to prove yourself. You don't need to prove yourself to, to leaders, to life group leaders, to elders, to apostles and prophets. You don't need to prove yourself to anyone. Just live the life of Christ. That's all we want for you as leaders in this house, is to see people become mature that move from children to sons. That's what we want to see. Stop beating yourself up when he's clothed you in his righteousness. Stop trying to help God. You have to think like that as well. God, what can I do for you today? Uh, I've done it all. <laughs> oh, right. What do you want me to do then? Just enjoy the life of Christ. Just get on with what you know you should do. Live by the Spirit. Let me explain that. I don't know. Maybe you said this phrase as well, but I used to say this. God, I want to do great things for you. I really want to do great things for you. And I understand what I meant by that. And maybe you can identify to that phrase. I want to be used mightily of God. I want to do great things for God. I understand what you mean by that. I understand the sentiment behind that. But as a sentence, it doesn't make sense. Because you can't help God. He doesn't... Hear hear me carefully now. Spiritually is open. He doesn't need your help. But he wants your life. There is nothing you can do for God. There's no idea you can think of that he hasn't already thought of. There's no person you can reach that he is unable to just appear before and reach himself. But, thanks be to God, he wants to involve us. And he's put his son by his spirit inside us that we can be involved in the greatest adventure this world and creation and the universe has and will ever know. He just wants us to live by his spirit. I can do great things for God. No, I can't do great things for God. But I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There's an emphasis on Scripture that always says that it's through Christ. It's in Christ. It's with Him. It's by Him. It's for Him. That's Colossians 1. Everything was made for Him and by Him. And in Him, everything is held together. There's no space for me in that. Apart from the grace of God that says, Son, I just want to share this with you. And that's the wonderful grace of God. But let me just read some scriptures. You don't need to turn to these, but just have a look at these, just to kind of get this settled in your mind. You don't need to try. You just need to be. 
Okay? 2 Corinthians 3 says this, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in yourself. No, finally be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Colossians 1.11, may you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Isaiah 41.10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see the emphasis, it's all from Him to us. It's all now from Him through us. Just want us to understand, it's time to get out of the way and let Jesus live through our lives. We're wonderfully and graciously involved in this adventure. But let's stop trying to help God and just realize he lives within us. Take Jesus at his word. Let him live through you. It's so very important that we receive this this morning. This is just another step on the journey as God is really nailing this. It's the life of God. It's Christ in you. We're called to let him live his life through us. Not as we heard last time with the little red bands, the what would Jesus do, the oh, if only he were here band, the nostalgic cloud gazing, where did Christ go if only he were here, what would Jesus do bracelet? No, Christ in me. What's he doing right now? I don't even have to consciously make it stop what I'm doing and think, what is Jesus doing right now? He lives in me. I've got the mind of Christ. I know. You instinctively know what God wants to do, what Jesus wants to do through you. We'll look at that in just a little while. But this is what it's all about. It's not a secret anymore. Jesus Christ dwells in you. And it's so important we receive this because as we heard last week uh, through Jez, that when you enter a room, that's where Jesus is. His presence is there. That you are the only Jesus that your neighbors and your colleagues know. But Dave, what about, what about the parts of me that don't line up with what you're saying? I keep doing this. Uh, I, 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 I've got this bad habit. I keep doing this. Or I, I, I do really well Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, but by Wednesday, I'm back into this. Let me just encourage you, because no one is here to beat you with a stick. The only reason, the only reason, the single and only reason you know that those things are bad is because the Holy Spirit in you is telling you that's bad. It's not God from afar going, boo, hiss, you know, like, stop it. It's not that. It's Jesus Christ in you saying, son, don't worry about it. These are just the bits of, of, of your life that I'm still extending into. Like the yeast working its way through all the dough. These are just the areas I've still got to work into. Don't worry. I don't condemn you. Did you mess up? I did. Say sorry. I'm sorry. I remember it no more. Take God at his word. But let him in every opportunity work his wonderful life into every area of your character, of your being. Why? Because Christ lives in you. And he wants to live in all of you. Let him live through you. I'd like to give you one thing. Discipleship, we know, we've heard this already, is very much about becoming like the one who is discipling us. We are followers. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to give you three points. I'm not going to give you five things uh, to take away. I'd like to give you one thing. I'd like to give you one scripture. And I'd like you to do this. I'd like you to make a note of it. I'd like you to write it down. I'd like you to read it every day this week. I'd like you to talk about it with one another, about what it might mean. It's very simple, okay? We're talking about cultivating good habits. We, we, we know what habits are. They're the unconscious 
uh, the things we do, sometimes un- unconsciously, it's like an acquired action that uh, over time that we just take on. They can be quite hard to establish certain good habits, but by repetition, it just becomes a part of my life. Romans 6. And the verse is verse 11, but I'm going to read this from 8 to 11. I would like you to develop this spiritual habit as you take a step each day with the Christ who's in you. Romans 6, 8 says this, Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Amen. That deserves an amen. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Would you take verse 11 and every day read that? Now, this is not homework. This is lifestyle. Okay, this isn't kind of like you're not cramming for an exam. I'm not going to ask you. I'm not going to ring you up and, or give you a test next week. This is for you to develop as just part of your work with Christ. The one within you, Christ within you, he has uh, died once and for all, conquered sin. Sin no longer has mastery over him. It can no longer touch him. It can no longer hold him. It can no longer hold him back. And he lives in you. So why give death the satisfaction of sin reigning in your life? The one who is in you is dead to sin. Therefore, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in who? In Christ Jesus, who lives through you. This morning, I'm not even going to have that sort of sin. Must not sin, must not sin, must not sin. It's really not about that. I'm not talking about conscious thought of must do better, must do better. It's simply this, Christ in me, Christ in me, Christ, the one who conquered sin, sin doesn't factor. Christ in me, Christ in me, Christ in me. The hope of glory lives in me. Read it every day. Write it out. Text one another. Tweet it. Put it on Facebook. Whatever you want to do. Whatever it takes. Get it into you. Develop the spiritual habit. Consider yourselves now. Count it. I am dead to sin. Why? Because the one who's in me is dead to sin. But I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. In closing, can I just say this? Stop trying to be a Christian. You know it instinctively. Not wrestling with sin and circumstance, but letting the life of Christ that's within you flow. You know when the life of Christ is moving through you. You instinctively know right from wrong. You know when you're watching the TV or the news and you see the news reports of great injustice. You know that feeling of, Heavenly Father, right now in that situation, that's wrong. And I'm just going to speak. You know as you're in conversation with people and the gospel presents itself, you know because of the life of Christ uh, that's in you, Christ within you, that you know I've got the gospel. I've got everything you need. You know when you're talking to someone who needs prayer, you know that you're the very hands of Christ in that situation. You know, you know, you know. And let's not kid ourselves that we don't. We know. So just let him. So just let him. Don't try and prove yourself to God. Let go, and Christ in you, just share your faith. You can't save anyone. You're just the messenger. You don't save anyone. Christ saves. You share his life through you. Why? Because he lives in you.
Let it go. We're alive to Christ. We are alive in Christ. Jesus is alive and he's alive in you, church. That's worth saying a hallelujah for. Hallelujah. He's alive in me and he's alive in you. I'm not worried about what tomorrow may hold because I know he's already achieved everything I'll need for that day. I don't need to worry about what's happening five years, ten years, twenty years down the line. I don't need to worry about that. I just need to live in the goodness of the victory which God has won. And now Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, lives in me. That's why Jesus can turn to his disciples at the end of John 16 after he's come to this wonderful, great exposition of the Holy Spirit that's about to come and say this. Trials and troubles, you will have them in this world, but you don't have to worry about them. Why? Because I have overcome the world. If only they had realized in that moment that what Christ was saying, trials and troubles, you will have them. But fear not, I've overcome the world and I'm going to be resident in your life 100%. I will be with you, I will never forsake you, I will never leave you, but I will give you everything you need. Just let me live my life through you. Amen. Do you feel lifted in your spirit? Heavenly Father, let's pray. Will you stand just a second? Let's just pray quickly. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you for your word. Thank you for another step on this journey. Lord God, I pray, Lord Jesus, you'd help us all just realize that it's just getting out of the way and letting the life that already is within us live through us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We receive your word. Lord Jesus, we say we love you. We say amen and amen. Amen. Let's applaud the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you for everything you've done for us. You're alive.